0: Hello, and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to unique, transcendent, uh, explorative individuals who are the equivalent Indiana Jones in comedy. Now, today's guest is all the way from Brighton. It's a a place known for its exotic scenes. It's It's a place of exploration for people, a very creative place. It's known for terrific um, rocky beaches. It's known for great fish and chips. And it's known for the fantastic Brighton Comedy Festival. We're gonna find out about Brighton and we're gonna speak to a man who has the stage name of Dave Wilder. The last name sounds like a wildlife presenter, but the main thing that's wild about him are his sharp one-liners that will have you in fit. I met him at a heckless show. He, He has a very, polite nice demeanor but when it comes to the heckles they're very smart and cutting like Dominic Cruz in his trash talk he is an absolutely amazing comedian please welcome Dave Wilder
1: wow thanks for an amazing introduction I like um, the Indiana Jones bit uh I'm going to take that with me I like that very much
0: do you feel that 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 I think you are like but like You travel all sorts of different places. Like you came all the way from Brighton to London for Heckler's show.
1: Yeah, I do. I do get about a bit. Um, uh, I'm kind of trying to do that a bit less. The uh, I heard some uh, someone was telling me kind of some third hand advice from a very uh, well. I, I might as well say uh, from uh, apparently they'd heard it from Scott Bennett, who's obviously you know one of the best. And uh, the advice was to grow in the dark. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do more. And obviously what he meant by that was basically just get good before you start trying to kind of go around the country and show yourself off. So, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to focus a little bit on staying closer to home, just trying to, you know, develop, develop my act, develop my skills. Um, I'm not in a hurry to kind of go up to hot water and, and glee and all these different places and you know and be okay um so yeah i'm trying to not get not travel too much um and uh you know and just kind of get to that next level
0: you're gonna just get the panache that it's like the you're gonna get a great dish that like a nice fantastic chicken kiev with chips get it freshly made but then it's ready you're gonna pollute it round like mcdonald's
1: i'm gonna pollute the uk with my stinky garlic packs. that sounds about right no no, no but chicken kiev is delicious if i was <laughs>
0: oh you don't like chicken kievs okay i'll rephrase it i'll say fantastic fish and chips
1: thank you man yeah no uh, chicken kiev is delicious uh, i'm a vegetarian so i don't know uh, i don't have chicken kiev anymore but um, yeah no uh you know you're quite right and i I appreciate that I took uh I turned a compliment into a diss unnecessarily, so I apologize for that.
0: <laughs> oh you and what's it, what's it like being a vegetarian? What was it that made you become the man who eats all vegetables? But when it comes to fantastic omelette and cheese, you're like fuck it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. And what made made you a vegetarian?
1: No, I mean you're right. I I like I used to be uh I was uh so I was a vegan for a while. I think it was quite annoying for my wife. So my wife has been um my wife's been a vegetarian since she was a child. Um and when we were when we kind of uh got together, you know, for years I was one of those annoying meat eaters who would kind of kind of say, Oh, you know, don't you wish you were having a bacon sandwich? Uh, you know, wouldn't you love to have these lovely meatballs with this pasta or whatever? And um, you know, I was one of those really. And then uh, there came a certain point where I was thinking about it and realised I wasn't really happy with the kind of ethical aspects of eating meat. Um, It's not very fun for a comedy podcast, but, uh, you know, I think anyone who looks into actually where meat comes from these days, uh, it's a pretty um, shameful business. So I I decided, um, I I I immediately became a vegan and then kind of claimed the moral high ground in our house. I kind of, you know, telling my wife, well, you know, you shouldn't really be eating dairy, you shouldn't really be eating eggs. Like the the farming is not really ethical. And, uh, you know, I could just see in her eyes. Um, and sometimes hearing the actual thing she said, that her feeling was, you know, who the fuck are you? I've been a vegetarian for 20 years. What? And you, and now you're acting smug, having given up meat for like two months. So, um, So I was a vegan for some time. But uh, we uh, we had a daughter uh, nearly six years ago, and it just became the idea of trying to do three different meals every mealtime for like a baby, uh, and my wife a vegetarian, and me as a vegan just seemed uh, just seemed like too much. So I just think fine, we'll we'll be, we'll be a vegetarian household, and uh, you know it's not. Uh, you know maybe I could do better but I compromise don
0: i'll I'll be honest though, mate, that I do feel a bit lighter when I've had more vegetable sort of diet. I remember I did try going a mostly vegetarian vegan diet and I was felt much lighter. whenever I have meat, I feel quite heavy.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean vegetables will clean you
0: system. <laughs> that's true now yeah. um does it did it in any way have an impact on how you became a comedian and did your first gig like what was it like when you did your first gig did it impact the way you did your comedy
1: vegetarianism <laughs> oh, I don't think so uh it was kind of part it's probably all part of my midlife crisis um you know uh there probably aren't that many people uh for people who don't know me um you know i'm I'm 45 i only started comedy fairly recently so um you know i think these days most people come to it uh, much younger but um yeah so i guess it was around a similar time that i started kind of doing different things in my life but um yeah, I did my first gig uh, like a year and a half ago, usually after the end of the pandemic. i um, done a f- couple of open mics before then, but I was just kind of dipping my toe in the water. And um, but yeah, during the pandemic, uh, you know, comedy was something in the back of my mind, thinking if everything opens up again, um, if we get the opportunity to kind of be together in a room again and do this amazing thing, then I'd like to kind of have a go at it properly, and um, yeah, so I started in uh, kind of July last year, and feel uh, so like audiences are um, kind of have a similar feeling, you know, since um, since things reopened for that for the first six months, there really felt like a was kind of real energy and excitement, um, and appreciation of what it means to be together in a in a small room, uh, laughing together. I think it's you know it's an amazing thing. Hmm.
0: And what 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 was it like when you did your first gig? Did you enjoy it, or did you get tense? Did you get like what was it about the first gig that made you feel like right? I'm gonna do this. I'm doing this.
1: Yeah, I did enjoy it. Um, I am. Um, I feel like I've done. Um, I've done a. F- a, a fair bit of performing in my life in different kind of sizes um, so uh, I, I, kinda, I play the piano and sing a little bit um, not very well but, um, uh, and I've done a kind of a little bit of amateur acting and things uh, again, you know, I'm not doing any of those things, but uh, enough that I didn't really get massive stage fright like I think a lot of people do because uh, I'm a bit used to, you know, being on stage and performing and um, what I did was uh, I went along to a few open mics just as an audience member, because I was just interested in it, and just kind of went along to see, you know, how it works. Um, and I think you know one thing I took away from from that just being there as an observer was just how low the stakes are. Um, <laughs> you know, I always I, I say this to people that are interested because uh, I think a lot of people are interested in trying comedy but they always say, you know, I don't know how you do it. Uh, you must be so brave. It must be terrifying. Um, and you know, what you what I want to say to them is like, just go along to a few like crappy open mics, just get to see kind of what the level is, uh, people trying new stuff, you know, most of it, uh, maybe is has got a bomb, uh, and you know and it's fine like everyone's you know everyone's basically having a good time um and you know it doesn't matter the fact that the fact that a lot of jokes don't land is the point you know that's what we're there for so i went along to a few um kind of got a sense that uh you know the stakes are low uh, it's fun it doesn't matter when things go wrong and uh so i you know i felt when i when i did go on stage for the first time I didn't feel too kind of scared or anxious um, because I don't know, I'd kind of got that vibe that, you know, it's just, which I'll just try out a few things, people might laugh at, uh, at one or two, that That'll be a great result and um, I remember one of my first gigs uh, which I kind of credit with assisting with it um, so I think a lot of people probably try it a couple of times and then give up, they just want to prove you know, that They give it a try, but it's not really for them. uh, I did one open mic and there was a guy in the audience who was like a really loud laugher who had one of those really unusual laughs. Um, And uh, he kind of gave the room permission to laugh. So uh, I got like a really good response and I kind of credited him. I don't know, you know, maybe he was just laughing at the way I was holding the mic or something. I don't know. But um, I kind of came away from that thinking uh you know this is all right I can I can make people laugh and um uh that's just you know if you can do it once you feel like I can do it again.
0: Hmm. That's true. Yeah. It's a bit and
1: when you What was it like for you, Marvin?
0: What was it like for me? Uh well it was a while ago. I think it was around twenty thirteen since I did it. So uh I saw a university shouldn't do it. And I had my parents come in. And then I had a mate of mine come and watch. Now it was very terrifying. Um I did okay. But I mean, I think when you do your first gig, it tends to go better than a lot of other gigs when you first do it. And then maybe the yeah. second or fourth or fifth, you, you have your first bomb. Uh, but it went all right for me. And I don't know why, why, but the, the lady host introduced me as a woman for some reason, like a snarky sort of response to saying, Oh, he's a bit of a coward or something. Oh, he's a little girl or something for being nervous, but I, I didn't pay too much. At I just went and that was it. I did. Okay. It was at the Camden de Chans, which is a world renowned new material night. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've not been there for a very long time. I think it's changed massively in that place. And I think it, yeah. And I probably won't go for a while as well, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was all right. And I think I was, I, I was always told by mates that I was the funniest person and I enjoyed making people laugh. I still do. Um, but people encouraged me to go and do it. And I was always looking for a place to do it. So when someone did a newspaper article saying that they did a gig, went there, and I found about this gig, that gig, and then it just went on from there and now I'm stuck with it.
1: <laughs> yeah you can't leave you should I think uh, should do a podcast about um aggressive introductions by MCs I think a lot of comedians could tell stories about uh rude introductions they've had from MCs
0: yes I had one um there's a I had a there's a couple of times where I've had that where acts have said little things before they go on stage and but the times where it's happened, it sort of got me off guard. It's, uh, it, it surprised me a bit. One of them was going, oh, Marvin's a weirdo, this and that, and whatever. Look, mate, whatever you think about me before, I go, don't bring them fucking on stage. But they went and yeah. did it. And it yeah. Uh, now, if if they did that, I probably wouldn't go on stage, or I'll probably um, probably say something, I'll probably rip them apart. But um, yeah. it's, yeah, it, it's it got me off Yeah, it's always people that are insecure got their own hang-ups and um, got some big issues up here. That's why they do that. I mean, the comics that are proper, the bomb and really good, like proper pro-comics headline a lot of clubs and they know that they're really good often don't, I feel, don't give as much problems as people that are doing okay but not quite there yet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Freddie Quinn has written a brilliant book about him seeing... And um, and in it, he just kind of repeats that um, the job of the MC is, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like uh, to create the best environment for the act to shine. Um, you know, it's not about you as an MC being the funniest person um, or kind of winning the night. You know, your job is to let the act shine and make it as easy as possible for the end. You know, you know, I think, you know, that's true of, as you say, like the best comics, the best MCs, it always drives me mad. You know, I see quite often is, you know, the MC will go up and kind of do a bit, and then they'll go, okay, and now I'm Look down at the paper, is Dave Wilder? You know, and they've clearly got no idea who you are, and they're just reading it, and it's like, you know, you could, you could check that before. Um, you know, try and make me look good. Try and make it look like uh, I'm not completely incompetent but uh, there
0: you go yeah it's it's i think most 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 gigs are seen by comics as just a side on to test their own bits when they run gigs when they're not they just oh i can test some bits out i can get better put my mates on but they don't really put much thought into oh it's a good show if you run it well you have a lot more people coming back and it's a lot more better place for you to test your ideas out rather than make ten of them run away and not come back again and then if you build a good night you can help a lot of help long term you can help your friends but it's yeah yeah it's funny yeah there's a lot of um i mean i had an incident a while ago on friday he's a he's a good friend of mine but uh and i i'll have a chat with him about it but like there was a gig in friday and the guy did a lot of crude sex jokes uh he was there was about six or seven people in. We did a lot of crude sex jokes at the start, which I don't know. I feel it makes people a bit. Yeah.
1: And, so was was this the MC?
0: Yeah, and then right. uh, he did a bit of crowd work, maybe a little bit of laughs here and there, but a lot of the acts didn't do too well. Like one app when he came on, he saw it was uncomfortable, but he just did straight with his new material. Ten minutes, didn't put any right. effort to win the crowd or didn't read the room or anything. But the thing is. If you haven't got them on site, how can you test out if the joke works? And you know, you may have magic words, but you're not gonna have a chance to find them if they don't like you and they're not with you. It doesn't matter how good good it is. And then a lot, next act did okay, next act did okay, but there was no rescue from the MC to try and bring the energy up or make them feel comfortable. And then there was an act who was a bit drunk and was laughing in a weird way at all at the other comics right and then at the end of it there was another jokes going to america talking about the twin towers attack or about school shootings and then after that they all left and didn't come back
1: oh wow yeah no i mean i think you're right you know opening with really crude stuff is very high risk and you know audiences often don't like it um Yeah, and, uh, you know, as you say, the MC should be, you know, setting out for the acts and making it as easy as possible and, you know, creating a warm environment and a sense of togetherness as an audience. Um, Yeah, it's not about just trying, throwing your new stuff and using the stage time. It's,
0: um... but Siobhan was very good, wasn't she? That lady that was in when...
1: Yeah, she was fantastic.
0: Have you had any horror stories recently that you've seen with host with knights like hosting and where they've done things where you're like, I can see what's going on here and you're like, I know this is gonna be a bad gig.
1: I did uh, I did one gig, uh, so I was up in Edinburgh last year and um not doing my own show, just doing kind of spots on sort of showcases and compilations and things. And uh I did one where um the MC introduced me by I think for the words. It was something like, I have absolutely no idea who this person is, but please welcome Dave Wilder. I thought that was a bit of a that was a bit of a low point. Um <laughs> which, uh, I did another gig recently where uh the MC it was uh it wasn't a big crowd in and they were a bit quiet and uh the MC started off trying to do some crowd work but it wasn't really wasn't really clicking. So they went into material um, and that wasn't really working. Um, But what they did, you could kind of see that what they were trying to do to resolve it was just to kind of keep going until uh, they'd kind of built some energy in the room. But this went on and on and didn't happen. And the MC ended up doing, I mean, at least half an hour, maybe 40 minutes. Um and all the acts are just sitting there going, just bring your song that this isn't working. Um, you know, like you do 40 minutes at the start. But uh yeah, I mean it's hard, you know. I've done I've I've been doing some MCing, it's not easy. I you know, I respect it. Um but uh yeah yeah. It's uh you know the stakes are high.
0: It's very hard. It's it's um yeah. Uh, one thing one thing I've found something that I need to start doing as I need to start bringing some more material into the MCing Just, you know, if the crowd work does okay, but if it doesn't go well, you need something to back it up. And I've, yeah. I find it difficult because when I'm running my own gig, I'm worried about it going iffy. So I don't take the chance of testing new stuff out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting balance. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I I tend to go to crowd work first. But um, as you say, having material as a backup or being able to, um, you know, a lot of my stuff is about um, being married or relationships um, or being a parent, um, fairly kind of universal stuff. So often you can kind of front it and bring it in. You know, you you chat to a couple, you chat to a married couple, and that's usually a good way to bring in uh, a pre-prepared bit of material um, about marriage, say, and... You know, you kind of get bonus points um, if it vaguely seems spontaneous, don't you? Like, um, yeah. you know, if we're just chatting and they mention, I don't know, snoring or something, and then you've got a bit about snoring, uh, you know, you look like you've just come up with it. Um and obviously comedians know you haven't, but um, audiences are a bit more forgiving and you get yeah. extra credit. So,
0: it's yeah, it's an interesting... Uh, do, yeah, I mean that's that's perfect. <laughs> it's what um what what do you like about MC as as opposed to just doing the act as well? Do you feel that a lot of acts should do it?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's really useful. Um you know, I think it's great for just helping you kind of be in the moment. Um and just kind of relax and trust that, you know, you can come up with something funny um, that you can kind of chat to people and figure out what's interesting about them and funny about them. I think, you know, most of the time there is, uh, if you put your mind to it. Um, And I think it makes the room relax um, when you have that kind of in your arsenal. Uh, I definitely feel like when I started... um, I would be. I wouldn't be very comfortable. You know, if there was an interaction uh, or a heckle. Um. Obviously, heckle means lots of different things. Uh, but if there was just someone uh, kind of shouted something out, I could be derailed by that. Um. Because you know I've got my script. I've got my jokes. Um. And you know audiences. Uh, they're like sharks. You know they can smell the blood in water. And uh. If you have that nervousness, uh. And you're not comfortable with interaction. Like, uh, they can feel it. So developing those skills and just being happy, just chatting to people and breaking off from, uh, you know, your script, um, I think it's quite transformative. Like, um, you know, I'm not the finished article by any means, but I feel much more comfortable now. And when people join in, um, you know, I I had a gig last night, New Material Night, um, ended up doing a fair bit of just chatting with people, uh, as they were joining in about the jokes and uh you know it's it's really fun like I enjoy it. audiences like it um and I think it makes you uh i think it makes you seem a kind of more skillful comedian yeah now what do you think do you pre- do you prefer it seeing or are you do you prefer doing your own act
0: well i th- i tried to MC zoa and it right. it was funny, but it created an awkward atmosphere so I don't really MC as Zoa I MC as me uh, yeah. I prefer being a I prefer being an act, but I don't mind MCing, because it's 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 just a bit of a chat really it's but I find it difficult to now that I'm more focused on building like for Zoa rather than myself it's a bit more difficult to be an act. As well as do it because I'm having to do two different things, so it's. I'd say I prefer being an act.
1: Right. See when I when I saw you recently, you were hosting as Zorro at the Hecklers' Night, which is quite. You, you're kind of juggling quite a few plates, uh, doing that. Um, like it's one thing. I think it's hard enough emceeing as Zorro, but when you're inviting heckles. And having to respond in character, that's quite a challenge.
0: Oh, yes, yes, definitely. I th- with some of the stuff that was said there, if it was just me, I'd probably respond quicker and better. But then I'd have. To- I also didn't prep as much. <clears throat> when I MC, I, I prep quite a bit in advance to get sharp and ready to deal with things. Yeah. But yes, it was all right. But <clears throat> I'm trying. Well, it's a new thing to Zoro character. So I'm trying to develop a material for it. So it's. Yeah, I have to think in that character and I have to think in that character's world. So. But <clears throat>
1: Nice. That's... What is it about Zorro that uh, particularly appeals?
0: Well, I only did it because I went to Golia and I started doing uh, things in Spanish. And then wow. um... <clears throat> and then I found about the costume. Uh, I just thought I'd do Zorro and then it's gone gone on from there, really. Oi, I'm asking the questions. No Jackie, <laughs> no Jackie. It's all good. <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> you are a comedy traveller. Like you go to you go to London, you go to Brighton, you're different parts of the country. But you're saying you want to focus more on Brighton. What does Brighton have different to other comedy scenes? Would you say? What what's different about Brighton to other comedy scene? I know it's the gay capital of lot of the UK, yeah, and it's very creative, and it. But I don't know about anything else about Brighton.
1: Yeah, no, it's um. I mean, Brighton has uh, a fantastic scene. It's a very artistic kind of cultural hub, um. You know, of all all kinds of arts and music and, uh, you know, fine arts. You name it, really, and uh, it's got tons of great. Comedy, great comedians, there are gigs uh, pretty much every night of the week. Um, so you know, it's uh it's there's probably not as many opportunities as London, but uh I get the impression it's kind of comparable with somewhere like maybe Bristol, um maybe even Manchester, I don't know. Um, but it's you know it's a really good scene, and there's loads to do. Um and uh, like uh, the amazing comedians around here, you know we've got, um, you know Laura Let, Zoe Lyons, Stephen Grant, Angela Barnes, uh, you know Romesh is basically local. Um, uh, yeah, who am I thinking of? But uh, so there's, uh, you know, it's um, like you say, it's a really thriving, brilliant scene, and like great people to learn from, and occasionally, uh, you know some of these top names joe wilkinson you know they might end up at the same kind of gigs that i'm doing which is always uh, you know very exciting as well
0: but is it, is it different would you say to the london's well yeah i don't have much but have you noticed from the way it's set up because like london gets a lot of complaints for a lot of bringer gigs
1: yeah yeah i, I find it quite different from london um you know london gigs at my level I haven't uh haven't always found to be that much fun, you know. Like I, I don't I don't do bringers. Um uh so you know I've I've kind of done uh, smaller gigs or open mics in London. Um and uh I don't know, I find Brighton a, a kind of a more supportive atmosphere really. Um more of a kind of community of comedians. Um so, you know, London is is just so competitive trying to get uh trying to get stage time uh at good gigs uh or trying to get audience for smaller gigs is you know is really challenging um so uh yeah you know I I, I mean I would recommend you know when I talk to London acts I, I always say like you know come down to Brighton it's only, it's an hour on the train um and you know there's loads going on really good gigs really good venues and and one of the great things about Brighton is Uh, It's full of tourists. It's a real tourist hub. So what that means is that um, audiences are always different. So, you know, you don't need to worry. If you're doing the same club uh, for a few weeks in a row, you don't need to worry about doing the same material if you're trying to kind of polish something or work on something because the audience is going to be different. Um, You know, it's not like it's not the same locals who come to this. You know, a lot of gigs... You'll do once and they say, okay, um, you know, come back next year. Uh because that's their audience, they don't want to see you again for a while. But um, you know, someone like Brighton has like such a turnover of people that uh you know, you don't need to worry about that. You can just work on whatever you want to work on, um, which is very useful.
0: Yeah. It's And is it? I know that Brighton. There's a lot of comedy scenes near Brighton as well, like down the south coast. There's like Portsmouth and all of that. Is that are they? Are they sort of like that as well, or what are they like?
1: They're smaller. Um, You know, there's there's a very nice scene around um, Portsmouth and Southampton. Um, There's stuff going on in kind of Hastings. Uh, There are nice gigs uh, along the coast in Kent. Um, some stuff in Bournemouth um but uh I mean Brighton is far bigger, and you find a lot of those comedians come to Brighton a fair bit because um I think this is really you know this is the local hub, really, apart from London
0: hmm. yeah so <clears throat> I noticed that there's a lot more cabaret and creative things going on like there's a lot more of encouragement for alternative comedy in Brighton. I know there's a lot in London too, but in Brighton it seems to be really geared towards supporting that.
1: Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of uh, a lot of cabaret, a lot of drag, um a lot of uh, clowning and alternative comedy um yeah, which is, you know, it's it's great to see the whole range of things. You know, I enjoy all these things like what I do um is uh, maybe a little bit old-fashioned. You know, I do kind of one-liners, um, quite kind of gag-based, uh, you know, talk about being, you know, I'm a, I'm a boring, middle-aged, straight white man. So, uh, you know, I talk about marriage and uh, being a father and, you know, getting older and relationships and uh, fairly standard things. But you've got people doing, uh, touching on much more maybe interesting subjects or uh you know kind of less heard voices um which you know which is great which i enjoy too you know i love uh, seeing the whole range of things
0: hmm. yeah i I'm... yeah i'd say is why is Lo- does london have better comedians than brighton <laughs> no i'm joking i'm why? joking i'm joking
1: says they do Marvin. unbelievable <laughs> here we go yeah. well you know i mean the answer i mean the answer really is you know london is you know it's the capital it's where everything is um you know it's the it's the home of the media that's uh yeah but uh you know it's pretty good down in brighton too
0: <laughs> no it's not that, that statement's not true but i mean no
1: which part's not true
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i meant like in terms of i wouldn't say that at all because i think there's a lot of it, i think it's there's a lot nothing starkly different in terms of the quality of comics in Brighton or london i'd say it's probably pretty similar
1: yeah well um you know i mean the thing is i mean it's obvious but you know people tour like uh one of you know i'm from london um but i moved down here uh, uh seven years ago and you know, one of the things I love about it is that um, as a kind of smaller city, you you kind of have more access to things. You know, I feel like when I was living in London, you know, people talk about uh, how great it is that London has like West End theatre uh, and all of these great cultural things. But, you know, I didn't know many people who were going uh, to West End shows very much. You know, they're so expensive and, you know, they're not in the places where people are living whereas a smaller city like london uh sorry like brighton um you know the big theatre is just down the road i can walk to anywhere in the city um you know i can go and see you know all the all the big shows come here really um and it's accessible and um so you know we get uh you know we get great comedians here too i mean that's there's such a range here you know when i talk about Comedy in Brighton. My perspective is, uh, you know, one level of gigs—the uh, kind of places you might see me, where you might pay five or ten pounds. But um, uh, you know, you'll also get uh, Stuart Lee and Ramesh, and you know, all these huge names uh, playing the dome uh, or the, you know, all the, all the big venues here. Um, so there's there's so much for comedy fans to enjoy. It's it's a, it's a great place to do it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've always enjoyed my time in Brighton. I mean, I've had a, it's been, it's always been good to gig there. Like, there's always been good audiences. There's always been like something wacky or strange going on stage, even for myself or someone else. And yeah, it's been, it's been. I think yeah, what you said there is very clear because London's got so much going on, and sometimes people, it's often more difficult to advertise and get people in. Whilst in Brighton, I've I think because as you mentioned there, everything's more accessible. It's a smaller city. I think a lot of the gigs there are probably better. I see so many London comics actually coming in to gig in Brighton because there's so many bigger gigs in London.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I far prefer gigging in Brighton to London. Um, you know, and I've done some nice gigs in London too, um, but overall. Uh, you know, I think audiences are better. It's um, a bit easier to to find an audience, maybe. Um, and you know, we've got like a really lovely scene uh, of of comedians down here. Uh, you know, good promoters, good nights. Um, yeah, I would you know I would recommend it. Any kind of London comedians looking uh, to kind of spread their wings a little bit and try. Uh, you know, Brighton is just it's not far. uh There's lots of stage time and uh, really good audiences.
0: But there's also a lot of beef in all scenes, isn't there? Like in London, in in, in our, we we chatted about it about the one guy having a big post. But yeah, um, what's what's the what's what's the what's what's the thing that? So I don't go to Brighton that often. But the stereotypes yeah. of Brighton is that it's known for being very artistic, but also for being in, in a hub for um, the LGBTs sort of thing. That's what I hear about it. I don't know anything about Brighton, but from the sea and that. But what's what's a, what's a, what's a, you mentioned that it's quite everything's quite easy to get to. It's a nice city. But what are things that are unique to Brighton that? you love that people aren't often aware of? And what a stereotype to annoy you about Brighton or are they the things I've just said?
1: Yeah, I mean, Brighton is, um, as you say, it is uh, an LGBTQ uh, hub. Um, I think I saw a survey last week that said it was kind of the friendliest place um, in the country uh, for LGBTQ people uh more people here kind of declare uh some kind of orientation like that than anywhere else. Um so you know, which is uh part of what makes the city uh so kind of uh diverse and fun and exciting and we have Pride which everyone comes out for and uh uh yeah it's I mean it's a it's a fantastic place. Um the uh what stereotypes about Brighton annoy me um I don't really know I think um with it, Brighton has a weird kind of relationship with with tourism which I uh, I found quite interesting moving down here so my wife is from Brighton um so uh, you know we we used to we've always come here a, a bit but before I met her my you know my experience of Brighton was basically coming down you know for stag doos or for kind of weekends like people do um and you get you you get a sense of one very small part of the city uh, which is just kind of around the pier um and one or two beaches just there and kind of west street where the nightclubs are um and then when i met my wife and we started to come here more and kind of she showed me uh like the brightonians brighton basically brighton people never go to those bits those bits are basically just like fenced off for the tourists um so like i don't think my wife would ever go to the brighton pier um of her own volition she would never go like around west street on a night out uh according to brighton people um, as i understand it basically they just kind of drive all of the horrible stag and Hindus into this bit where they can get drunk and fight or do whatever and then the rest of the city which is lovely uh is where they go so um there are kind of two brightons and i guess i have kind of uh i've kind of seen them both but um I, I mean i'm still new enough here that i kind of enjoy all of it you know i still um I still think it's fun to go down to the pier and, uh, but, um, yeah, I, I think a Brightonian would, a proper Brightonian, uh, would, uh, would turn their nose up at that bit.
0: And what's, what's a, what's a unique Brightonian dish that's, that's that no one knows about that you can't get anywhere else. What's a unique food dish that's unique to Brighton?
1: Um, I've no idea really uh brighton has a lot of really good kind of vegetarian and vegan restaurants um terra terre is particularly good it's kind of a big award-winning uh place um i mean i think people you know people come here for fish and chips that's uh uh that's probably the the main thing that you know people would come and, and have uh have for the day uh yeah I'm not sure there's really a Brighton cuisine that I'm aware of but uh you know i'm not I'm not really much of a foodie anyway to be honest
0: whatever tastes good boom
1: <laughs> yeah you know i um you know people say do you eat to live or live to eat uh and I'm very much just uh kind of eat to live if that's the right one just you know I could um happily miss meals uh, and barely think about it
0: yeah i've i've i'm i'm I'll be honest, I, I'm, I'm, I am a bit of a... I love eating food, I'll eat anything, but there's always a part of me that likes to explore and try something different. Right. And do you cook? I can cook a little bit, but I'm not very skilled at it. I mean, I can cook the basic stuff, but if I want to try something new, or like paella or anything like that, I, I, I'll be up for it. I'm always up for that. Nice. So, one thing that we've not touched on but we touched on before the podcast is that you are a writer now what's what's are you like a Stephen King writer or are you like like you're a ghost writer for people and like that must that's an intriguing background I mean how does that interlink with comedy and how does comedy help with the with your job of being a writer and that must be quite interesting I mean you must get people like Beyonce saying David give me the line right now or you get somebody who's like Let's go for the creative process. We are building one step at a time. We're going to see a nice angel. You must have a multitude of characters that probably shock you and make you laugh.
1: Yeah, I mean, you do, I do work with uh, with interesting people. That's the joy of it, really. So, I mean, I've worked my day job um, is I work uh, in publishing as uh, an editor, writer, ghostwriter. Um, I've kind of worn most hats in that business um but mainly now what i do is uh edit books and work with writers uh i've published a few books of my own um and um yeah i mean i think what you say is right uh you know um i haven't heard from beyonce yet but um i am ever hopeful um yeah i think uh yeah but uh you know, the, I mean, I've done some ghostwriting and, and really the the fun of that is, you know, most writers, um, I think, live quite boring lives, you know, because essentially most of us try to design our lives to be boring, right? You know, we want a life without much conflict, without much drama, you know, just to be, uh, you know, for me, just being like happy at home with my family. Um, and that's wonderful. Um but it's not dramatic it doesn't there's not there aren't a lot of books in that um but so when you when you work with people uh who've done more interesting things who've been involved in you know i don't know policing or uh kind of uh medical uh, emergencies or crime um or working with uh challenging families you know all sorts of stuff uh if you, when you get to work with people who've who've led much more interesting lives um and you get to help write their stories or help develop their books uh that's a lot of fun um and uh yeah so uh, I've definitely enjoyed that part of it
0: hmm. we can't say who it is because it's 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 right to disclose you isn't it it's like with with psychology or psychiatrists you've got to keep keep things disclosed isn't it
1: yeah so i yeah i don't, i'm uh, yeah, I don't talk about the people I've ghostwritten for um, because, I mean, sometimes sometimes ghostwriters do, sometimes ghostwriters are credited, um, but um, mostly my experience has been that uh, the uh, purported, purported author is just credited and the book appears to come solely from them. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, I've got no problem with that. I think your job is to your job is to help the author and help them make the book a success. Um, and I think for readers, if it appears to come, you know, if I ghost wrote your book um, and uh, it would be, I think readers would much prefer it if it just said Marvin on the cover rather than Marvin plus, you know, some unknown ghost writer. So uh, yeah. Hmm. And
0: one thing I've, I spoke to John Fleming and he says the thing that makes comedians interesting is often what they do outside of it and what who they are outside of it that's led to comedy. Now, with the job of being a ghostwriter and being a publisher and being involved in writing as a whole, how has that shaped you and like how is that what is the one thing you've learnt from it that you would like that you would like to share with anyone that's listening now?
1: Well, I mean, I think it has been really useful for my comedy. Um, you know, from the moment I started, um, you know, people are very kind um, and they don't tend to tell you about all the things you're bad at, uh, of which there were plenty and uh, probably still are. But the th- the thing people would often say is that uh, my jokes were quite well written Um that, um, you know, I'm quite good at writing jokes. And I think that is my strength. Um, And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, my experience as a writer has been very useful for that. You know, I definitely think a lot about the structure of jokes um, and the different kind of stories you're telling simultaneously, how you you know just the simple tricks really like you know make sure you put the funny word last um try and condense the number of words uh while keeping it clear um you know these things sound simple but um you know that there's an awful lot of work in taking a comic premise that you think might be funny and turning it into a a joke or a bit that's really honed and polished and tight um And that is kind of, you know, that's kind of my day job, really, is just kind of uh, polishing words and, um, you know, making it work. So, um, yeah, I think that's been really helpful for me. Um, And it's it's really interesting because it's such a comparison, uh, the difference between writing a book and being a comedian because you write a book and you're basically on your own for six months or more. Uh, No one ever sees anything really. And then you bring it out um, and hopefully you'll get some reviews and attention. Um, Whereas with comedy, uh, you know, I could write a joke this morning and then tell it on stage tonight. And um, it might, you know, uh, occasionally it will get a big laugh. And the immediacy of that and the pleasure of um, having a response in the room is such a contrast. You know, I've, I mean, I've written, I you know I've written books that have done well, um, but the feedback you get is quite limited. You know, you get, uh, you'll get some reviews. Uh, occasionally someone might kind of write to you or tweet you that they enjoyed it. Uh, but that's about it. You know, you get, you get paid, which is lovely. Um, but uh, there isn't an awful lot that you really get back of whether people have enjoyed it or not. Um, whereas, you know, we've, I mean, maybe that's partly what appeals to me about comedy. Um, you know, I write a joke, go on stage, uh, suddenly there might be a room full of people laughing. Uh, comedians come up to me afterwards and say, I really like that bit. Um, you know, to be clear, loads of it bombs too. But uh, that's that's a, that's a lovely thing, right? And um, to have that happen so quickly, uh, it's uh, is a real pleasure. Um, yeah, I get a lot out of that. Hmm.
0: And has any has comedy and has writing changed your life in the way? Has it changed your thoughts and the way you approach certain things?
1: Yeah, I think it has. I think it's interesting. Um, so one thing for me is I, I feel like it's made me kind of a better conversationalist because uh, I feel like I always used to be kind of that annoying person who was always trying to crack jokes and make people laugh in a social situation Um, and actually you know people don't always want that and actually quite a lot of time they don't want that you know they want you to listen or they want to tell you what you know what's going on in their lives um and actually the person the person that's always trying to kind of make a gag can be really annoying um and i feel like uh doing comedy kind of gets that out of my system you know uh i've got i've got this opportunity to try and be funny uh and tell gags and uh you know get that uh feeding my ego i guess um and so then in a social situation i don't feel that need quite so much and i can actually just be present and you know be listening and kind of more attentive to what the other person needs you know i've i've been doing i've done some improv too which is um uh obviously very connected to comedy you know it is a form of comedy um but again this uh, i feel like those those skills in improv like uh, you know you know as an mc like it's about following where the conversation and the idea leads rather than trying to drive it yourself. You know, I'm like, I would, I don't think this is that uncommon, but looking back, I'm very conscious that I would be one of these guys where like, we'd be having a conversation and then I've got an idea of something I want to say. And, uh, you know, you keep talking and I'm just waiting for my opportunity to say the thing that I thought of two minutes ago um and you know that's not that's not good conversation i should be just listening to you and seeing where you lead us and you know it's that spirit of kind of yes and take the idea and go with that um rather than just saying you know just waiting for your turn to talk which i think a lot of conversation can be um and i was definitely guilty of that but i think um I think I'm getting better. I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask Beth. I'm gonna ask my wife. But I think I'm getting better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I think that's definitely a big thing with uh Yeah, oh, yes, definitely is. I, I think I do that a lot as well, and I think I've definitely done it. And I think a lot of comics like to be the funny one. Or the the others where they feel a bit awkward and then they let out that funny bit. But I feel um no, I think that's definitely true. I think that's definitely sort of changed his way since doing the podcast the way I chat to people. Uh, podcasting is also an interesting thing as well because you, you deal with all sorts of people. Even yeah. though like you're a comedian, and I'm talking a lot of comedians from across the globe and different places, each one of you is different. Like, I can't yeah. talk to each one of you the exact same way. My main purpose in the podcast is to have a fun conversation and get to know you and see what you have to say, rather than disagree with you or this and that. But that's like, and the way, the way you approach the emails and like messages, that's a big thing as well. I hate doing it like the admin of doing the podcast, but I've had a couple of funny situations mm. with it and it's helped me pick things up more with little people. So, um, what's an, okay, I'll tell you this. This is a bit of a funny thing. Yeah. Uh, a venue who I'd emailed about putting on a show didn't get back until recently and they <clears throat> something came across a bit fishy about it because i had a comic who a while ago invited me to help to get a show going and he said to me if you have any friends to come along could you bring them along and when someone asked me that that often says well i felt something then but when i when they said that to me came across to me now that i think about it he didn't have many people in yeah when i went there there wasn't anyone in yeah. and like
1: yeah.
0: i had an email with someone they they only got back to me recently but they were saying something about oh we can do a meeting about doing comedy shows and i thought something just didn't come across right because they they took so long to get back to me and then i tried to call them a couple of times i couldn't get hold of them and they mentioned, "Oh, I'm only available at a certain time when they had shows like a music show or a comedy show, and it came across as if they wanted an extra person to come into the comedy show
1: oh wow and that's
0: that that's what came across there, so I thought I'd test it a bit and say, "Oh, I can't make it down then and they've not yeah. done, rearranged it they've not done this and that, but something came across as a bit iffy It's not about what people do is the way people do things. And I think that's where people can go around the lines and say, Oh, I didn't do that. Or like with cancer culture, some of these instances are just people saying something that could be misconstrued the wrong way, but they meant it another way. And that's, I think that's what goes on a lot now. People say, Oh, I didn't do that. Or they try and twist it the other way and try and get you into trouble.
1: Yeah. I mean that that is one way to promote a gig. Just invite people for meetings just to fill up your room. That's I've never heard of that approach before. But it, that's what
0: and then another instance, I had a comic from America. He's not a, he is a fairly big comic, but not super big. But there's little things like he kept on trying to rearrange the time. And then he said, Oh, could you do it like an hour earlier? And then all of a sudden he cancelled. And it's the way the when I'm saying it now says so maybe I'm paranoid something but, it, but it's the it's the little detection in the way people do things and you read things a bit more, yeah, and that's what the podcast has taught me more in terms of messaging people and like shows and stuff like that, but it's still something that I'm working on, and I absolutely hate the admin of booking podcasts and of course booking gigs,
1: yeah. No, I mean, I think you're right. And, you know, one thing that I feel I've definitely found as well is, like, that you need to trust your instincts, because when you're dealing with someone new, and there's just a little thing that seems off. Um, my inclination is always, oh, well, you know, they probably didn't quite mean it that way, or, you know, it could be a misunderstanding to give them the benefit of the doubt. but, um. I think you find over and over again. uh, So you know, I've worked with writers. That's kind of my area, and um, writers tend to be quite eccentric, individualistic uh, people, and that's that's great. Uh, That's you know, I love that, but uh, they can often therefore be kind of characters. They can be difficult, and you know, almost every time when in those early discussions, someone gives you a clue that they're going to be a bit difficult. that they're going to, you know, be hard to work with. Listen to that voice because it always turns out to be the case, you know. Um, Yeah, I've definitely experienced that. And uh, yeah, it's good to be alert to it. And I'm sure doing the podcast and interviewing people, you become more kind of alert and heightened to all of these things. I
0: think, yeah, that's, it helps a little bit. But it's still something that we all work on and i i try and adopt what you say as well but i think when it comes a regular pattern then you go oh okay something's not quite right yeah um yeah i think that's yeah the that's it's definitely taught me a bit about that um definitely
1: because you i mean you don't just interview comedians do you you get like promoters and bookers and agents and all sorts of people is that right I haven't had any agents on yet
0: Um, but they seem quite reluctant I think to come on because they don't I've seen them on the Simon Keynes podcast but they seem reluctant to come on I feel that it could put them in the wrong light or something and I find dealing with agents when getting people on is a lot harder than when you're dealing with the comic themselves I feel like the agents are all about the money yeah Um, and what you can give them was comics, sometimes a bit more lighter with that. So, yeah.
1: um Did they try and charge you for people to come on the podcast?
0: I had one comic try and charge me who was famous, but I just thought, no, uh, maybe I might do in the future. I might do. I, who knows? But i have to see what the benefit will, you know, the, I'm not just going to throw money. At. I had someone who wasn't famous or who obviously wouldn't be able to give me much try and charge me. And I don't know i' it's try it's good to push for as much as you can, but I feel sometimes it feels a bit doughboyish. when someone does that 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 rubs me off the wrong way. I may not do with others, but for me, if someone does a doughboy type thing with me, I don't like it yeah it, yeah because I've yeah, had yeah. some people that are bigger than um much bigger than the person who was asking me to get paid and that's yeah, i don't know it is what it is
1: yeah well you know the thing that you know comedy is such a small world and the thing that's valuable is the relationships you know like um if someone burns their bridges with you uh you know or falls out with you over a little bit of money um you know they've they've lost something much more valuable but you know because you're running gigs you're emceeing, you're doing your podcast um you know the important thing uh, in this business I think is to get along with people and uh you know show them what you can do and uh you know kind of build your profile that way. Yeah. Um you know there's no point um there's no point annoying people just for, you know, uh you know, quite small amounts of money a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, th- there's that's that's something that um Dave Thompson said in one of the previous episodes. And he's done quite well for himself being tinky winky and all that, and he yeah. says goodwill is something that's priceless, and I feel that that's something that gets missed out a lot on in comedy uh because i I've done it myself I've made mistakes i made and I've upset a few people here and there. It's very hard to repair those things back because they always have that thing there, and with people who have pushed me up the wrong way i i'm'm I'm, it's very difficult for me to to trust them again
1: yeah and and you remember it forever. You know, I'm uh, I'm not one, I'm not a person who holds grudges particularly, or or gets too bothered by things, but you know, I definitely remember, you know, when I definitely remember when people, uh, you know, have kind of dissed me or like been, you know, had a bit of an attitude with me for no reason, um, and uh, you know, you gain nothing by it. Like, um, it's, comedy is is a small world, and uh, you know, you it it pays to. To get along with people, um yeah, because you know everyone, everyone you're working with now might be running the Edinburgh Festival next year, or you know running the comedy on Dave. Like who knows?
0: Well, that's what Dave that he, he said to me. Be nice to be on the way up because you you'll meet them on the way down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely right. Yeah, and um you know I hope people aren't listening to this thinking. Dave Wilder can't stand that prick, but uh, <laughs> I uh, yeah no you know I I definitely I believe that I try and get along with everyone and um, yeah you know it's I mean I mean it's, it's just it's an amazingly small world comedy uh, you know I started out very much as a hobby just to see if I could do it, if I could stand on stage and make people laugh and write a decent joke. And really soon you find yourself gigging with people who are like real professionals, who are brilliant professionals. And that's not that's not a story about my meteoric rise because I'm so great. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's just that, that you know, somebody is very small and you're immediately on the same ladder and the same gigs as uh bigger comics who are looking for an audience you know i think um I always think the interesting comparison is like kind of amateur theatre uh because you know you have a real professional theatre um but then you have the amateur circuit and they're basically un- unconnected uh you know i've done some uh, amateur theatre you know they're in different venues um completely different audiences and cast. They're they're just two separate worlds and nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, it's a wonderful thing, but comedy, that doesn't exist in comedy, you know, even, uh, you know, London open mics or in Brighton or, you know, anywhere, you're going to get the pros coming down because uh, they want the audience too. And, you know, and the smaller gigs, um, you know, we're all on the same ladder. We're all on the same bill. So, I mean, I've been on, you know, I've gigged with, some incredible brilliant comedians who are you know miles beyond my level but uh you know very quickly you find yourself in that space i'm you know i'm sure you i mean i've seen like the people you've had on this podcast is uh, kind of an example you know i'm on here with uh you know people like dave thompson and uh you know matt price i was listening to the other day fantastic comedian um you know it's it it's a small world and that's the lovely thing you get to what uh you know, these brilliant people up close and, and learn from them.
0: Yeah. It's it's a great, yeah, it's a great art from the so many things that, I mean, even someone like Matt Price has got so much to work on.
1: He's got a lot to learn, hasn't he?
0: <laughs> no, but oh no. God, that sounded wrong, didn't it? My God, that sounded wrong.
1: Matt, I didn't mean it like that. I was just saying that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. He'll get it. No, Matt, I'm joking, obviously. Matt is uh, you know, Matt is a fantastic comedian who I really admire, um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I love watching him at work.
0: Oh, it's incredible! His crowd work is second to none. I've not seen anyone, not many people, be as good as him.
1: No, he's amazing, and the way uh, the way he can turn a, a difficult room around sometimes, um, the way he. Uh, he once described it to me, I hope I'm not being indiscreet, but um, uh, I don't think he'd mind, but he once kind of described it to me as uh, getting some plates spinning. So uh, we were doing uh, a gig that was a little bit of hard work and the crowd were a little bit quiet. So he kind of got a few things going on with different audience members, kind of created a few characters as you do, you know, imbuing audience members with a particular persona And then he could return to that and be interacting in between the material. And I thought that was a really interesting way of describing it and a really interesting approach. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, for me, as a kind of one-liner kind of gag comedian, when I watch people who are brilliant at the interaction, at the crowd work, at improv, I always enjoy that so much more because... You know, it's something that I'm. uh, You know, I'm not so good at. I really want to learn to improve. And uh, you know, when you watch people like Matt Price, uh, Nicole Harris is fantastic. Uh, Laura Lex, you know, Stephen Grant, like all these people who are just so great in the moment and so quick. Uh, You know, I love that, and I love kind of watching and learning.
0: Yeah. And occasionally, you try and ask them for a free ticket to watch them.
1: yeah do you do that i don't do that
0: no, I don't know
1: <laughs> you you get it to see on
0: the stage, don't you <laughs> so yeah as you said there yeah yeah
1: no I mean you get to see them you get to see them up close it's, uh uh and uh you know actually you were you were asking about Brighton I mean one of the joys of Brighton is we have the fringe um and we have such a big scene you know you get amazing people coming down and doing previews like uh you know I'm seeing Simon Brodkin in a couple of weeks. Uh, above a pub with like a uh, i think it's a, i think it's a room that seats 35 um and comedy's really interesting like that because there's no there's no equivalent in kind of uh you know say music or theater like you know if you're really into ed sheeran say um i know you're a big fan of ed sheeran Marvin, um but if you're a big fan of ed, she- ed sheeran you know you can be to see him at the o2 uh, you never get to see him above a pub, um, that doesn't exist. But in comedy, you can go, you can pay, and you can see Dave Chappelle at the O2, or you can see Chris Rock or Michael McIntyre. Um, but you can also see them do new material. You know, you can see these guys at Backyard or Museum of Comedy, or uh, you know, you can just see Romesh uh, doing some new material above a pub, like. You know, I can't think of another art form where that exists, and no. and it's a much better gig. You know, I'd much rather see these guys up close than uh, you know. I don't want to see comedy in a stadium. I want to be in the room, and um, yeah, it's a really unique thing, and uh, and Brighton is great for that. Yeah. yeah.
0: But remember, guys, you can go to London and Brighton if you want to gig seven times a week. You go to both.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, London's great too. I'm not uh I'm yeah, I'm from London. I'm not I'm not distant London. But uh, you know, Brighton's better, come down here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, for those that are listening and you want to find out about Dave Wilder, how do they find out about you?
1: Uh so uh I'm on you know I'm on all the social platforms. Uh my website is davewilder.co.uk um all my social stuff is there and uh yeah you know come to my gigs uh follow me on socials um tell your friends uh yeah you know it's um it's good fun
0: that's where you you, gotta go all right
1: yeah Are are we being straight now
0: do you get a lot of that inviting? Do you get anyone saying yo 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 Dave like what? Give me your triscals. My what? Triscals.
1: Triscals, what's that?
0: I don't know, it just sounded like something that would say.
1: Oh, I thought it was some kind of slang that I'm too old to have heard of. Give me your wallet. Give me your wallet. Uh no, that hasn't happened. Brighton's uh Brighton's a lovely place. It's, um, it's quite funny. So, you know, I come from South London, um, and my, my wife occasionally kind of will warn me about the dodgy parts of Brighton. Um, and I always find it amusing because to me, every part of Brighton is just lovely, um, and feels, you know, very safe and very friendly. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah he has a slightly different perception um but yeah to me it's just uh so no I've not uh I've not lost my wallet just yet um so yeah anyone listening don't try it I'm uh I'm harder than I look yes remember cro- that he beat me up yeah 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 Marvin tried it and look at him now <laughs> yes exactly all right, so you know where to go. But Don't try it on him.
0: You know how to find out about Dave. And we've got many different episodes coming. We've got a Cirque du Soleil clown and performer. We've got a guy from Luxembourg coming on. And we've got Maureen Younger, who's an actress and comedian. So it's so many different people coming on. Hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure you subscribe. Give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. And I'll see you soon.
1: Ah. Move. <music>